Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast, where we talk about faith and popular culture, because there's no such thing as secular. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net and your host. We've got some pretty great music to talk about on this episode, but first I wanted to share a bit of movie news. The next online gathering of the TC Movie Club is right around the corner. It's going to be May 15 when we're getting together to discuss what do we do with Paul Schrader. The provocative director's latest film, Master Gardener, is on the way. So just before that, we'll be considering his previous work from First Reformed to Hardcore to Mishima and more. We'll be asking what we can learn and how we can answer the spiritually tortured work of this theologically-minded filmmaker. I've also got a video essay up on the Think Christian YouTube channel that does a deep dive on First Reformed to get the conversation started. So mark May 15 on your calendar and join us. If you're not a member of the TC Movie Club and you'd like to get an invite via email where we send out the Zoom link, that's how we set these up, you can just sign up at thinkchristian.net slash movieclub. That's thinkchristian.net slash movie club. Schrader's work has largely been dominated by the male perspective. So let's balance that out with some talk on today's show about Boy Genius. That's the name for the women-led indie rock supergroup comprised of Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. They're all talented rising stars in their own right, but as a trio, they released an EP in 2018 last month saw the release of their first full album. It's called The Record, and it's been getting a lot of attention. Let's bring on Abiel Chessy and Sarah Welch Larson. We're going to talk about the superpowers of a supergroup and the record in particular. I'm here to represent the sad dad demographic, and by that I, I don't mean I mope to the national. I mean, I like the national. But what I'm talking about is it's more that I'm a middle-aged father who's been getting teased by his family for how excited I was for the first full album from Boy Genius. So to balance my sad dadness, I have Abby Olchesi and Sarah Welch Larson joining me, both fans to different degrees, I think, of Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker, and Phoebe Bridgers, who make up Boy Genius. So before we get to the album... I'd like to hear a little bit about your relationships with these artists as individuals, how you're coming into this album um, with their previous music that they've done on their solo album. So, Abby, have you been following them each equally, would you say, or do you know one of them maybe a bit better than yeah, the others? Yeah, I'd say of the three of them, I probably have listened to uh, Lucy Dacus's music the most, um, but I've also heard some Phoebe Bridgers and some Julian Baker. Um and I, I mean, I like I like all three of them individually. I think they're very talented artists. Mostly, I just am stunned by how young they are and also how wise they are simultaneously. Yeah. It just you're yeah, stunned as a as a soon to be thirty five year old. It just stuns me that people who are still in their twenties have lived that much life and articulate it so clearly. So that's that's kind of how I feel in general about all three of them. Yeah, the clear articulation that is definitely a strength they all share. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Sarah? Well, for one, um, I'll have the market cornered on uh, sad dadness because I like to mope to the national personally. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'll, I got you covered there. Thank you. Um, 
I think I was pretty familiar with Phoebe Bridgers pre-pandemic, but when she really broke out, I got really into her music, like listened to Punisher probably on repeat a little bit more than I should have. Um, And I've been following her ever since then, both her individual career and then also her side project. So not just Boy Genius, but also Better Oblivion Mm -hmm. Community Center, um, which is a pretty fascinating um, side project of hers. I Got into Lucy Dacus a little bit more, I want to say last year, and kind of did the same thing where I I listened to home video and then listened to that on repeat as well, because I like to get into the lyrics, get into the complexities of them, get to the point where I can probably sing along to the songs, although I don't Mm. know if anybody wants to actually hear me do that. (laughs) Um, Julian Baker is one of those people where I really like her music in theory, and for whatever reason, the music kind of slides off me a little bit, but I tend to gravitate towards her boy genius songs almost more than any of the other ones. And I haven't quite figured out why that is. I suspect that it has to do with the way these three artists' sensibilities kind of mesh and bring out something else in each other. Um, And for Julian Baker, I really appreciate her songwriting, and I really appreciate the more minor key stuff that she brings to the entire group. But I like the way that it's balanced out by the other two's sensibilities. That's interesting. And and yeah, the way they mesh is so crucial to, I think, what makes this album special. So let's turn to the record and sort of to that point, Sarah, I saw that on Slate, Carl Wilson wrote a fascinating breakdown that essentially details who wrote what parts of what songs. Mm. Um, it's pretty carefully observed, even what lyrics were written by who, and then who ends up singing them. And the gist of it, basically, it won't run down all of those breakdowns, but the gist of it is that it didn't always match up. So sometimes Baker is singing Bridger's words and so forth, just to give one example. So that's just interesting to consider in terms of who we're actually hearing might, obviously they have the lead voice in that sense, but maybe not in terms of the words or even the melody or something like that. And that just speaks to, I think the exceptionally seamless sense of collaboration here, which you've already alluded to, I think you hear it all over the record, not only not only when their voices beautifully blend, but the coherence of the music across the album and the ideas at play as well, the coherence that you sense there. So this doesn't seem to me very much like, okay, I'm going to drop my song in here. You guys can sing background. And then Mm -hmm. next song, it's your turn. It's much more sophisticated than that. It does make me wonder what the two of you made of this then as a collaborative project. So, Sarah, would you say that the record, does it combine their powers to create, I don't know, something that's three times as great? Or or did the album maybe strike you as less than the individual parts if you do like some of those solo albums a little bit better? I guess I'm asking, is this super powered? Is this watered down or is it somewhere in between? I think it's something that's been, to borrow a word from Calvin and Hobbes, transmogrified a little bit, um, (laughs) shifted and changed. Um, One of the things I love about the record and that collaborative process is that it feels as though singing each of these women gets to lead three different songs. And then there's another set of three songs where each of them is taking turns taking the lead. So it feels like a purely democratic, almost completely egalitarian process. I couldn't tell you which of those lyrics each of them could have written. I think if you'd have asked me, I would have thought that the ones that they're singing are the ones that they took the lead on. So it's it's interesting to hear that that's not exactly how that creative process works. Um, for me, I think they each bring out 
subtleties in each other's artistry that I notice individually when I'm listening to the individual artists, but that I don't know that I would have been able to pull out having not listened to Boy Genius beforehand. So it feels like an enrichment. It also feels like it's its own completely different animal because all three of these women are doing very different things in terms of genre and sound on their own. And yet when they're together, they blend much more seamlessly than I think anybody would have given them credit to be able to do if you just listened to each of them individually and then found out later that they had um, a group project together too. Maybe enrichment is is a better term to apply to this. Would you? What do you think? Yeah, Abby? I think would enrichment you say so? is a good term. Um, I I mean I yeah I know that these the three of them have kind of different different sounds individually, but I think they're all sounds that play really well together. I mean, as you can hear on on this record, they all do, and lyrically, I think that they all really play well together. Like when uh, when I first learned that the three of them had a supergroup together, I was like, well, yeah, of course, they're all sad women who write very wise songs about their difficult personal <laughs> relationships and they all think deeply about the same things. Of course they'd be friends. Um, so I feel like it, it, uh, I don't know that it enhances so much as it just kind of makes sense together. Like, uh, like if you're creating, mm. if you're creating like a meal and you're kind of improvising with the stuff that you have on hand and you happen to find some ingredients and go, oh, yeah, these would absolutely go well together. Why haven't I thought of this before? I feel like that's sort of a similar experience. Yeah, I like that. So let's talk favorite songs. Um, sounds like we're all pretty positive on the album overall. Abby, what what have you got? What's uh, oh, the gosh. top of the list um, for you? So there are a couple of songs uh, fairly early on. I $20, I think, just as, as sound, I like a whole lot. It's just got wonderful vocals and... Um, a real strong beat to it that uh and and guitars as well like the whole thing it feels there are a couple of songs that feel a little bit different than anything else on the record and that is one of them for me but uh mm. lyrically i think not strong enough is the one that speaks to me the most um i think that and uh and true blue are like the two songs that i listen to and like kind of cry a little bit in the car and wonder if maybe i should switch to something else um <laughs> But yeah, specifically like the use of, of, of lyrics, like, I don't know why I am the way I am not strong enough to be your man. I tried, I can't. Um, and like the, the lyrics spinning out about things that haven't happened, just like understanding that in terms of mm -hmm. anxiety and, um, need for a sense of, uh, reassurance and safety, um, that I feel in my own personal journey with faith, I feel like I have, I've, I've come to that again and again. And so to hear somebody else speaking that very mm. literally just kind of hit me right where I live. Yeah, that was one of the highlights for me as well. I noted that same section of lyrics as you did, Abby. I don't know why I am the way I am. Um, I mean, there's obviously, you know, like uh, echoes of Paul in Romans there, but just also very representative of their individual work as solo artists, exploring that same tension, I think. And then here doing it together with confidence, it's almost like exposing themselves, and they've done this in their music individually, but here in Not, on Not Strong Enough, exposing themselves, expressing this confusion together gives them a certain strength. So there's confusion here, mm -hmm. but there's not shame. And I think that's a 
an, a very key distinction with these artists. They've thrown off the shaming that they've grown up with, I think. And this, in the case for Dacus and Baker, particularly in the context of the church, right? Particularly around their sexual identities. And here on songs like Not Strong Enough, I feel like they've they've thrown off that shame even while they're still confessing that they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out who they really are. And those two things are okay to be had together. And I think the music of Not Strong Enough echoes this because it really builds towards something that's triumphant almost by the end, even though it's still expressing uncertainty in the lyrics. Uh, and, and we get this lovely part. Again, I don't know why I am the way I am, but then there's something in the static. Yeah. I think I've been having revelations. And the music is support, it's booing that sense. So this was one that jumped out to me as well, not strong enough. Did did it register for you too, Sarah? Oh, yeah. This is my favorite song off the entire album, I think. Um, And again, I think the whole album is strong, but this is the one that I keep coming back to whenever it comes up when I'm playing it in the car. That's the one that I'll turn up and play really loudly because I want to hear that build. And I think one of the things that I love about it as well is the carefulness of the observations, and this is the case for all of their songwriting, but especially the way that the song kicks off where Phoebe Bridgers is singing about how every clock is a different time and it would only take energy to fix it, but I can't do it and I don't know why. And then it gets into that. I don't know why I am the way that I am. And again, there is no shame there, but there is a very powerful specificity in giving voice to that feeling And the other thing that strikes me about this song and then with all of the other songs on the record is that it feels really like it's a dialogue. It's just not it's not just someone alone in a room writing sad poetry about how they feel, which I think can be one of the ways that each of these artists can be dismissed sometimes. And I don't think that it's a fair dismissal um, because they're all talking to each other throughout that creative process. And then they're they're expressing that sense of loneliness, that sense of loss, and that sense of looking for something more in a way that feels very real because it is so carefully studied. And there's a line in another song, I think it's uh, Leonard Cohen, where Lucy Dacus sings about um, someone saying, like, I might like you less now that you know me so well. And yet there's Mm. still that affection that goes in the midst of that song and then in all of the other ones. It really feels as though these three artists aren't just creating something together, but they're also having a conversation about that thing while they're doing it, and that's strengthening those relationships as well. There are several kind of natural themes that kind of rise to the surface that it seems like the three of them are interested in interrogating. And one of them is that that sense of of vulnerability and confidence of being able to say, like, these are my flaws, and I understand that that's what they are, but I also love myself. Um, but also a sense of just seeking out unconditional love, which I feel like appears on several of the songs, um, either in like a successful sense, like it is ongoing when that song is being sung or it's something that failed. <laughs> um, but they're being honest about how that made them feel and and what they're learning and what they're processing from that, both of which I think are really interesting and both of which I feel like are very true to those three songwriter sensibilities. 
So that's not strong enough. Uh, Sarah, was there another one since we kind of stole your favorite there, stole your thunder <laughs> on it that you might want to highlight? Oh, man. I mean, anti-curse is one that I I think has grown on me more and more as I've been listening to it. And the back half of an album is always a tricky thing because you tend to listen to the first songs on an album, not out of any fault of the rest of the work, but just because that's how all of that works. Um, but I think that's kind of the the more crunchy, like slightly tougher sense, at least sonically, that feels like the Julian Baker influence that's going on here as well, where she's singing about she, how she's in too deep, she's in over her head, and yet there's still, um, I don't know, like there, there's this, that sense of vulnerability and then also making peace with that vulnerability. And I just, I love the drive behind that song, and I love that it's willing to go into some dark places without wallowing in them. And I think that's the case for the whole album, but here in particular, it's willing to sound out something that sounds negative or sounds difficult, and then to confront that feeling and to confront that sense of of hopelessness or feeling trapped or almost drowning at a public beach, which is how the song starts out. Um, and then turning it around into, I've been vulnerable about this and you haven't rejected me for it. And that in and of itself is kind of a blessing. Um, and I just, I love that sensibility. And I, I think that gets at the friendship slash love theme that's kind of woven throughout the entire album too. Um, because I don't think that you can really love someone or be loved by someone fully unless you're willing to be vulnerable with them to demonstrate those strengths and weaknesses to them and then for them to see those strengths and weaknesses and say, but I still love you anyway, in spite of and because of those flaws. Um, it's a really, I don't know, I keep saying the word vulnerable, but that's really what it is. So, Yeah, I, I think that searching for unconditional love is a through line and it's probably at the heart of my favorite song, which has been mentioned already, but True Blue is the mm. one I keep returning to. And Dacus, I believe, takes the lead here, at least um, for much of it. And this is another one of her. We've mentioned it, the novelistic details that all three of them bring as songwriters. Um, but Dacus's intimate stories, I am just fascinated by. And the way she doles them out here in True Blue with this soft and unexpected cadence, but then it does have an even more unexpected strength underneath it. That's what I keep coming back to about her voice in particular. And again, this is just these women boldly figuring out their place in the world in terms of their art, in terms of their relationships, um, their sexuality, and they're inviting us in on that story. You know, they're inviting each other as you guys have mentioned, in on the story, each other's stories, but they're inviting us in on their stories as well and sharing their fierce ind independence, but also their confusion and what they're still looking for. And it is that unconditional love. True Blue is has the, the wonderful line and it feels good to be known so well. Mm -hmm. I can't hide from you like I hide from myself. But it feels good I'm not entirely comfortable with this reference, so feel free to contradict me or call me out on it. But listening to to a song like True Blue and really so much of the album, I kind of felt like 
we're sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well a little bit, like hearing mm-hmm. her story, considering how it might resonate with our own stories, like where we see ourselves and what she shares. Maybe it's, you know, seeing her story in others, we know. And it felt like this a similar place was being created here. We're, we're all, after all, after this idea of being known so well, the way it's sung about on, on True Blue, that is what Jesus offered at that well. It's what's offered to all of us today. And I don't know, sometimes, sometimes Abby, I think Dacus, Bridgers, and Baker are braver mm. than most of us in expressing their yearning for being known in that way. And Certainly, they make that yeah. urine sound better than it's most true. of us would. Um, I think there. I I don't think it's on this song, but there is a lyric that's like, "I'm 27 and I don't know who I am yet." And my my immediate reaction to that is like, "Well, I don't know either." So get ready, kid. <laughs> but uh, so there. I mean, there is that, but also just like you know, they're willing to go deep and they're already thinking about that stuff, which is great. Um, but uh, the the back half of that of that chorus too. Um, is I remember who I am when I'm with you. Your love is tough. Your love is tried and true blue. And I I like that it's it's a combination of being known and being loved, but also any pretensions being really stripped away. And like you are you are your your authentic self. Mm. Um so like in talking about your your reference of the Samaritan woman at the well, I feel like that's a that's a similar experience, right? As somebody who's being seen for who they actually are. And being told, like, these are the circumstances of your life, but this is who you actually are. Yeah. Um, and having a profound reaction to being seen and known that way. So we probably have to talk about Satanists, sure. right? I mean, it would be a little weird if <laughs> if we just kind of glossed over it. I mean, yeah. it's also a good song. I think <laughs> it's it's probably musically one of the highlights. And as the title suggests, you know, they're kind of role-playing here, different provocative parts. There is Satanist, there's anarchist, there's nihilist. This is also where Ecclesiastes gets a shout out. Uh, Mm -hmm. The line Solomon had a point when he wrote Ecclesiastes, if nothing can be known, then stupidity is holy. Um, I liked that part. Uh, again, very much a searching for who I want to be song, um, what mask I want to wear, maybe, in some ways. Um, what did you guys make of this one? How about, how about you, Sarah? Get, get us, give us your Satanist take. <laughs> it's funny. It feels as though it's a mask or an identity that has been pushed onto each of these as well. So Julian Baker is the one who's singing the Will You Be a Satanist with me line. Phoebe Bridgers sings the anarchist line. Lucy Dacus sings the nihilist line. And all of those feel as though it's both an epithet and then a, almost a reclaiming of that epithet. I still feel a little uncomfortable about the Satanist part personally. Um <laughs> Probably appropriately so. Um, But it does feel, especially on the nihilism end, as though it's an acceptance of things that none of these people are, or none of the speakers in the songs are capable of changing. And so they're going to embrace it. Um, I'll be honest, I 
genuinely had a tough time with this song. I, I love it musically, and I think it's got a really good drive, and I think it's got some interesting ideas that it's kicking around. But this is one where I listen to it, and I still feel uncomfortable singing along with those lines, which mm. is normally not a problem for me. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, this is one where... I like it. I think I like wrestling with it more than I like singing along with it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That that first verse is worth looking at closely because it's the, the the first line is "Will you be a Satanist with me?" followed by the lyrics "Mortgage off your soul to buy your dream, vacation home in Florida, the collateral, the devil's repossessing for mm-hmm. me, trying to score some off-brand ecstasy." I've, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been on a real anti-capitalist kick lately, but <laughs> it seems to me that when they say "Will you be a Satanist with me?" that is what they are talking about. They're talking about it in a materialist kind mm-hmm. of mammon-based sense. It definitely does feel like it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And I think it's also telling that the person singing those lines is the only mm-hmm. person who still identifies mm-hmm. as a Christian within the band as well. So mm. I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down there. I think <laughs> it's the other stuff. Like the, It's more so almost the anarchism and the nihilism and like a little bit more of an embrace on that end as well as the just yeah. the line of... Will Although I will say that I think too. recently yeah. for myself... I've been wrestling with maybe a little bit of all three of these things together. Like if you are rejecting materialism Mm. and capitalism in one sense. um, And like, I mean, I, a lot of this was, was uh, kind of kicked into being by watching the movie air a couple of weeks ago and Mm. uh, not feeling very comfortable or happy with the way that it treated material wealth and material possession. Um, but thinking about that and then thinking about the way that I engage with the world and um, having also watched the movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline recently is like, where where on the spectrum do I fit within those ideas? And it seems to me like this song is maybe struggling similarly in a way that I really appreciate. Kind of taking that stand yeah. and not sure how to follow through on what, it. Maybe. What is right? What is justified? Um, what is not? who is willing to kind of wrestle with me through that stuff and what lessons lie within each of those identities and how do I keep from just like completely losing myself into nihilism, which is particularly hard lately with all the stuff that's been going on. Agreed. Yeah. Well, as someone who talks and communicates a lot for a living, I think it's really easy to make a stand and say something really strong and then really hard to follow through on it sometimes. So yeah, I definitely feel that. It's interesting how, you know, the movies we're watching affect the albums we're listening to in the immediate tense, you know, the present tense, where sometimes you that gets lost a couple years later and you forget what you were watching right, while you right. were listening to the record, uh, you know, and, and how they inform each other. But, yeah, I can definitely see some of those parallels that you're drawing there, Abby. So I think we've. We've hit on, you know, a good number of the songs. Is there anything else we should touch on, another track that needs to be mentioned? Um, or are we pretty happy with uh, with where Boy Genius uh, has left us and, and looking forward to their next effort? Hopefully they're going to do this again. I don't know. I haven't seen or heard if they've discussed that in interviews. Well, they're touring to promote the album. Have either of you seen the Boy Genius, the film that came out on YouTube uh, not fairly yet, recently? I've started I've to not. kind of look through it. Okay. So, okay. So it's... <laughs> it's a a three-part music video that they released to promote the album. It's directed by Kristen Stewart, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Huh. Yeah, and I think she brings an interesting um, kind of directorial sensibility to it, too. So it's literally the first three singles back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So $20. Um, let me double-check the, uh, the second one. 
So it's literally the first three singles back to back to back. So it's $20, Emily, and True Blue. And I don't, I think we mentioned one of the lines off Emily. Um, Yes. That's the I'm 27 and I don't know who I am um, piece. Okay. Yeah. And just like the songs within the album, I think there's a lot of interesting kind of repeated imagery in each of those music videos as they're kind of pulled together. So the same truck keeps showing up, the same shade of blue keeps showing up. Um, Someone's wearing the same sweatshirt throughout all three of them. But each of the singers takes kind of the front seat in each of the videos as well. So it's almost like an anthology of music videos, which I thought was kind of fascinating. So um, if you're hungry for more Boy Genius, I think that that's pretty well worth checking out. And it's available on YouTube, so you can just watch it for free. Excellent. Yeah, we will link to that in the show notes for this episode for sure. It sounds like it's well worth a look. Well, thank you both um, for giving this album a listen and having a conversation with me about it. What else are you guys up to that we can update the listeners about? How's how's that book coming, Abby? The book is coming. I'm I'm slightly behind where I would like to be, but I'm I'm getting I'm getting back on track. I feel like I'm I'm eternally optimistic that I'm going to meet that deadline. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a necessary that's right. <laughs> ingredient, the eternal optimism. Mm-hmm. And again, this is uh, this is a how are you pitching it? A liturgical yeah, it's movie a, viewing guide. Is that yeah? Fair it's for a, the, a for guide the church for calendar? movies to watch through the church year. So kind of a longer version of the essays that uh, or the lists that I put together for. TC during the pandemic, which is how that started, essentially. These are um, kind of extended thoughts on um, a lot of those movies, as well as some additional ones that I've thrown in there. There you go. Can't wait for that to be out. And then, Sarah, I know the answer to this question, because you were saying before we started recording that this is just part one of your recording night. You're doing the Seeing and Believing podcast afterwards. So maybe just uh, give give folks a heads up on what you guys are going to be talking about. Yeah, so um, every week, Kevin McLenathan and I review a new release, and then we pair it with something that the other host hasn't seen before, so we take turns suggesting movies for each other to watch. This week, uh, which the episode will be out by the time this one drops, we're reviewing Bo is Afraid, and we're pairing it with Henry Selleck's Coraline as well, so that should be a good, interesting conversation. Um, And then in terms of writing, I actually recently wrote a piece about the horror movie Skinnamarink um, and a read of it as um, a movie about fear of the rapture. So a little bit more of a personal essay. Um, That movie unearthed some some fun uh, childhood fears that I had kind of left buried um, for a little while. So that's over at Tor.com. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I saw that when you first were spreading the word about publishing it and Skinnamarink, one of my favorite movies of the year, just mm-hmm. fascinating. And that reading, it's its one of those readings that, you know, obviously didn't occur to me while I was watching it or thinking about it or writing about it. And then I see that and I, oh, of course, like that's brilliant <laughs> that you made that connection. So yeah, we will we will definitely link to that. So thank you again to the two of you for coming on the yeah. show. Thanks this was so fun. Much. This is a delight. Thank you. Now, over at thinkchristian.net, we do have a handful of articles about these artists' individual releases. So we've written about Julian Baker's Little Oblivions. We've written about Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher. And then on an earlier episode of the podcast, Eric Danielson and I discussed Lucy Dacus's home video. 
So to keep up with articles like that, the best way, the easiest thing to do is to sign up to receive our emails. And you can do that at thinkchristian.net slash subscribe. If you'd like to connect with us and make a comment, ask any questions about the show or any of the subjects that we talk about, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Think Christian. You can always email us if you'd rather do that, tcpodcast at thinkchristian.net. Also, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, you can find video versions of this podcast. And that's also where I have that video essay I made on Paul Schrader's first reformed to accompany the TC Movie Club. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Basselin. I'm Josh Larson. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to consider how another corner of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith.